One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Want support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abinelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abinelli spots out. Emerson! Hello and welcome back to the Borough Breakdown Podcast. Me, Johnny Dana and Tom Green. We are the Borough Podcast that gives you the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs of Millsborough Football Club. And if you're not following us on the podcast apps or on social media, just search for the Borough Breakdown. You should be able to find us on your, on your podcast provider, but also on any social media channel that you want us to follow on. Well, let's chat about the Borough. And well, I talk rank as Birmingham City beat the Borough yesterday with one goal to the Riverside. A goal from Scott Hogan in the 26th minute of the Blue Noses. All the three points at the Riverside, leaving Borough in seventh place in the championship table. Four points off the playoff places going into Wednesday's game against Nottingham Forest at the City Ground. And we know very well that it's not a very nice ground for Borough to go to. But Dana, let's kick things off. A massive contrast. It was a huge contrast from uh, the performance four weeks ago where Borough beat Birmingham 4-1 at St. Andrews. What was the biggest difference in performances? Application. I'd say, I mean, the game against Birmingham at St Andrews, we obviously did go a goal down there as well, but we had the fight to get back into it and, you know, we weren't obviously settling for that 1-0 and it was a complete contrast. It was night and day, actually, the two performances because yesterday I just didn't see that fight. We, You know, there was no spark, there was no creativity. We didn't look like we were going to score. Um, it was a very, very poor performance from Borough, just all across the pitch, really. I, I can't really pick out any positives. We had three opportunities and it just never seemed as though we were going to score. Warnock said after the game that if we were playing until next Christmas, we probably still wouldn't put the ball at the back of the net. And it was it was just one of those games where collectively we really weren't at it. And you could tell that we'd only had one training session and you know it was barely a training session. So, yeah, it was a, it was a very bad performance. And I think I, I have to put it down to the COVID situation because we just didn't look at the races at all. And I said it on Twitter that it felt like I'd gone back to 2019 watching it. It was like Pulis ball slash get ball where there was just no no idea really. And um, yeah, it was it was a shame to to see that sort of performance. Yeah, all the gear and no idea, uh, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think a lot of people were saying like online it was either Karanka masterclass or Karankard was the was the word that a lot of people were saying, or were Borough just simply poor yesterday? I know Dan has just been mentioned there about COVID and the training side of things. Would you think Borough were just simply poor, or do you think Itar did one over us on us? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that it was more we were poor than they were phenomenal. Like, for me, Karanka Masterclass is like 1-0 away win at Norwich at the end of that first playoff season. Um, and I don't think yesterday had the same kind of... It wasn't the same kind of game as that. Fair play to them. I'm not convinced that was the same Birmingham City squad we beat 4-1 just a few weeks ago because they did actually look a bit more up for it. Um, there was a bit more kind of zip in the passing and I noticed every time there was like a corner coming in or a cross coming in, Neil Everidge never tried to catch it. He was always punching it clear. It was almost like, I'm not going to try and catch this and let it drop back into the net. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I just thought we were extremely poor yesterday. I think uh, I, I noticed in the first half that we didn't seem to have a plan. They were having plenty of the, plenty of the ball. Plenty of possession, which we, we've seen under Karanka for what, how many, however many years, four years. He was he was manager here, um, and we just didn't have a, a plan to to deal with that. We were getting the ball, trying long long ball, but they were kind of pushed quite high up the pitch. So they were winning it back, and then the whole process was starting over again. Up until they scored, you could see it coming. Yeah, they had a really good press yesterday. <clears throat> and I thought Birmingham were were brilliant in that first half. They. They stopped the transition play very well. They, they made us hard. It was hard for us to connect the midfield to the forward, hence why we probably pushed having the central uh, number 10 role anyway in the second half. Um, but I think overall they were the much better sides and I think they probably deserved the win. But Tommy, you, you alluded to it there uh, about the round of possession stats and Birmingham had a 67% possession in the first 30 minutes um, of the game before they went to, before they went ahead essentially. And, and then they went ahead after about a couple of minutes after. Um, would you think that Dana's echoed it? Would you think that the lack of training in the training ground closure was like the key factor in Boris' slow start yesterday, or just think is is it just a couple of things? Is it just the tactics from Karanka, or was it simply just a case of we've had COVID and the tra- no training, and it's just really impacted our performance? I think potentially a mix of both, but more leaning towards the the COVID situation. Um, Like I said, I I don't want to take anything away from them because they did have their tactics spot on for for the match and they they did outclose. But at the same time, there there was a big difference, even between this game and Brentford last week, uh, where we we didn't look at the races, really. Yeah, it's interesting you bring, you bring that up about not being at the racist, but we've got a question, uh, Dana, from, from Sean92, uh, and it's on his, from Instagram, and he says, why does it take us a goal for us to get going? Have you seen this trend? Uh, sorry, the question was, why does it take a goal for us to get going? Uh, but also, have you seen this trend in Boris' displays of Lakes? I'm just thinking that Brentford went goal behind, Wickham, Birmingham twice, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, how about the last six games, really, that we've went a goal behind? Yes, we might have won, won games and we've brought it back, but why do you think Borough starting to sl- uh, start in these games quite slowly and why do you think it's taken us a goal to get ourselves back into gear and starting to kick on again? Yeah, it's interesting that that's been brought up and I'm glad it has because it passed me by, to be honest. I think because, like you said there, we've managed to get ourselves back in into a few of those games. Um, it Maybe I've just sort of glossed over it a little bit, but... Um, maybe a little bit of mental fatigue, physical fatigue. Uh, it's interesting to note that in two of those games, Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham, 
they came from individual mistakes from Paddy McNair of all players and we know this season Paddy McNair has played a lot of games not only for us but for Northern Ireland as well when Ian Bearclough thought it would be shits and giggles to play him every single minute um, even though they were out um, so it could potentially be down to that um, it is it's it is a worry because sometimes like yesterday when we're not at the races when certain players aren't stepping up um we can't get back into the game like I said we never looked like getting back into the game yesterday and yeah I I have to put it towards maybe a little bit of mental fatigue uh physical fatigue it might sound daft but the impact of COVID just in general might actually be uh, affecting the players more than we know but um yeah individual errors are, are costing us at the moment and we need to iron that out yeah, it's interesting that you bring up that point about COVID and people not recovering as quick because a lot of people do say that when when they've had the virus, it takes them ages to get back up to that that fitness peak uh, that they were once at. So we could potentially be be affected by that for the next few games. And it's interesting you said about Paddy McNair as well around his mistakes, and I think he's played the most minutes in the championship this season. I think he's played every single minute, hasn't he? So it's. Uh, yeah. I can understand both points, but what can what can Neil Warnock do, Dana, to 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 stop these slow starts and coming from behind to get a goal? Because Danny Gabadon said it yesterday in the Sky commentary that he got had a lot of days off under Neil Warnock. So if obviously if they were winning, um, and we've got we've done quite well this season. So if that if you want to do simple maths, I could probably say well, we're actually having time off um, and are quite rested as a group. Um, what, what can Warnock do, in, in, in a sense, to try and stop this little small rot that's starting to happen with, with the slow starts? I'm not sure. I think maybe the uh, return of the relentless Saturday and Tuesday schedule might actually help switch Borough on because they quite simply have to be. It's, um, you know, the rip-roaring championship. When you do have those games coming thick and fast, you need to be switched on at all times. I mean, you need to anyway with this division, but um, once we get back into that pattern, and you know, our schedule has been broken up a little bit because obviously the the Rotherham postponement probably didn't help it stunted the momentum a little bit potentially but I think the Saturday and Tuesday schedule bringing that back if it's still an issue after that then obviously that's something that will be even more of a worry than it is now but um, you know it's interesting you mentioned the the impact that Covid has because you see Alan St Maximan you know obviously he's been out for a while with Covid and even that you know fit athletes are getting really affected by this and we've had many positive tests this uh well in recent weeks and I'm a little bit worried about the the impacts of that the long-term effects and how it will um sort of how the players will deal with it because it will take something out of them and if we see a, a drop in the standards and performances it is an easy excuse but I don't think it's one that's completely ridiculous because you see how badly this virus is affecting people if we've had obviously we have had players that have tested positive you know that will that will be a a, a massive problem and um will have a bit big impact i think yeah you you're right and for me it's it's very easy for us to point the finger at yes this performance being down to covid and the closure and stuff but i also think that tactically that we we weren't great yesterday either oh I no we weren't we played, yeah Although we played in Kranger's hands quite easily, to be honest, you know, they just it was easy to stop Warriors today if you stop the transition, which we're normally very good at. 
then they're not going to create many chances apart from yeah. the set play. And the set players themselves weren't particularly great either. And were yeah. not dangerous on them. So. You, you look at the, the goal that they scored. I mean, we lost the, the, the aerial battle with Akpom. And then we won the second duel. We were just losing duels all over the pitch. And we were second best to everything. We were very, very slow. Um, there was no zip, no energy. We looked lethargic. The midfield was very, very poor, all of them. Um, we were completely, well, we were out-battled, out-fought, out-tacticked. And yeah, it was, it, obviously, I do mention COVID a lot there, but I completely agree with you there, Johnny. I think to take that out of the equation, it was a, it was a bad performance from us. Yeah, and obviously when they scored, they could have had potentially potentially been down to 10 men. Um, but we'll come on to that now, Tom. Neil Warnock, he thought that Birmingham should have had a red card yesterday with Sanchez. Uh, Sanchez played a big part in, in Birmingham's goal yesterday. Um, looking, he, he look, well, from the outside looking in, it looked like he kicked down Paddy McNair. Do you think Borough unfortunate that Sanchez didn't get a red card yesterday? And do you think that would have influenced the game? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> I don't say too unfortunate because we should be good enough to beat them 11 on 11 anyway. Um, but I do, because of the the role he played in the first goal and the fact that he probably shouldn't have been on the pitch, it, it's, it leaves a bit of a bad taste in your mouth. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm reminded of other incidents that happened in the past to us. Um, the one I mentioned in the group chat yesterday, going back up quite a while, Ali Adier, you know, gently caressing Mascarano's face in the Premier League. Um, it was, you know, get... it was like, have you seen the, have you seen the movies where like someone caresses someone's face and then they <laughs> to get, like, kiss or something? Well, so it was I, like, I, wa- it. <laughs> I watched that back after the game yesterday. And it was like literally no reaction from from Mascarano, <laughs> but Ali Adier still got sent off for it, and then the appeal was still dismissed as frivolous because that was violent conduct. And for me. Violent conduct is violent conduct. Like if you raise your hands to a player on the pitch, or you know you kick out on a player on the pitch, like Sanchez did to to McNair yesterday, it's still violent conduct. It's still a red card. And the fact that the the commentators were actually saying like, if this was in the Premier League, VAR probably would have picked that up, and he's a lucky boy to be on the pitch. I'm like, but you shouldn't be relying on VAR to pick that up. Looking at the replay, both the referee and the linesman were looking at that. So I think if they've dismissed that as just a bit of afters after after a tackle, and I, I do think we've we've got a right to to be aggrieved about that because they've they've missed clear violent conduct. I'm going to be controversial yeah. here, and I don't think that was a red. I you don't. don't so why, no, why I don't think it's a red then. I, I just think it's soft. I, you know, if he if Paddy McNair goes down, I think you know, obviously that plays into the referee's hands and probably does get him sent off. But the fact that there was no real reaction from Paddy McNair, plus I don't think the kick was, it was all of nothing really, I think. Um, I think a yellow, but for me, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't send him off for that. I think it's just for the, the letter of the law, as uh, Gary the Snake Monk said on uh, Sky yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> like, um <laughs> Like, like I said, if you raise your hands to someone on a pitch or you, you throw a, a kick, like even if there is no impact, I, I do think that's that's against the rules. So whether it was soft or not, which I did see a lot of on, on Twitter, and I agree that, it, you know, if you're playing football at goals on a Thursday night and someone goes, does that, you wouldn't expect them to get sent off. But it, it is against the rules, so I, I'd st- uh, still personally say he should have been sent off for that. 
Yeah, well, officiating itself um, in the AFL gets picked up quite a lot and gets a lot of stick from fans, managers, pundits, pretty much everyone. There's so many complaints around it. Um, and Neil Warnock is very, very critical of referees, um, not, especially in defeat as well. He's always very critical. Um, but Tom, do you think that? Do you think? I know you've said that there that you think it's a red card of violent conduct is violent conduct, but do you think Warnock's trying to shift the blame a little bit there when he should be really focused on his team? Because I think tactically we got it wrong yesterday. But um, do you think he's trying to shift the blame quite a lot away from his players when a referee decision shouldn't all will not always go your way? Is what I'm trying to say. I don't think he's trying to shift it too much from yesterday because he did say in the interview we weren't good enough. Um, And I still agree with that because we weren't, like I said before, the last question, we should be good enough to beat them 11 on 11. We shouldn't be relying on someone getting sent off to to be able to beat them. But also, he's a manager that's been around a long time. He'll have seen this quite a lot and probably it never gets any easier. Um, I wonder if, because there's been quite a bit made of this in the media on the run-up to the Liverpool-Man United game today about Klopp and Solskjaer talking about penalties and VR and stuff. I do wonder if Warnock saying that's trying to kind of draw the attention of of the AFL to our games and going, look, there was there was a clear red card missed here. Maybe we get a better referee in for the next game or something. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I think for some of the other games where he's done it, it has felt like he's tried to shift the blame, but not so much for yesterday because he did admit in the the post match interview that we weren't good enough. Yeah, I think it's. I, I, sound, I don't want to sound philosophical, but it, I feel like it just stuns like the the growth of like the team, and in a way, like I, I find press conferences from managers so interesting because they're always trying to pick a blame on something that's external to like what they've done. So it's like. Oh well, if you get beat, you get beat one 0 but it's from a penalty that wasn't really a handball. Like then they blame that for the like the defeat when really like if it went the other way, there wouldn't be there wouldn't be that bother about it. But then also you probably didn't do enough in the game to like do anything to win it. So it's like I think for for, for managers, I think sometimes they have to take that share of the blame and be like, you know, what? sometimes tactically we are wrong, but actually we've probably learned from that and we're going to utilize it in the next couple of games. To see if we can overcome that, I think I'd probably see. I'd prefer that rather than just like saying, "Oh, well, the referee, it's the referee's fault," because you'll never fully learn from that. Um, I just think it's just, it's just pointing the finger rather than like looking at yourself and what the team performance. Because I thought yesterday we were holy crap, to be honest. And that. so, but I think the referee side of things, I think the standard is quite poor. And like I know how difficult it is to referee games. I used to referee kids like in TGFA like for, for many years, and when you used to have like 15, 16 year old lads like kicking lumps out of each other that's when it's like you can see you can see the frustrations of like man uh for like referees it's not an easy job but i think for for managers i think they have to try and shift the blame on themselves first before they start looking at external things before you know well looking at external things because you should really be putting games to bed um but anyway johnny's philosophical quote of the week's done um uh dana we don't normally chat about opposition. Um, well, we do really part of the breakdowns, but George Friend yesterday, um, man of the match, probably the best performance I've seen him play at the Riverside for like the last three years. Uh, I thought he was absolutely majestic at the back for Birmingham yesterday. Um, but I've borrowed Mr. Trick 
by offering a one-year deal and then letting him go for a two-year deal at Birmingham? Or do you still think it was the right move to get rid and to build on what we're doing this year? I think it was the right decision. It was the right time for George Friend to go. Fantastic performance from him yesterday. It was, I mean, the script was already written, wasn't it? He was always going to get man in the match yesterday, unfortunately. But I think it was the right time for him to go. He obviously wanted reassurances over a more long-term deal where he probably would then maybe phase into the coaching side of things at Borough potentially, but we weren't wanting to offer him that. And I think that was right from Borough. We are building for the future and we are essentially building a different era and Matt Ball has fitted in really well. There's not a lot of players that have been able to dislodge George Friend or... um, not exceed him but replace him essentially and he's done that quite well you know James husband tried and he was here for what felt like 10 years and he made what like two appearances and then Fabio Fabio did well but largely we haven't really had a left back that's been able to replace uh, George Friend and Matt Ball is doing that and doing that well um, so I think it was probably the right decision for Borough to, to get rid of him um, we all said collectively that his legs had gone and well his legs randomly appeared yesterday of course they did but yeah it was the it was the right decision to let him go Tom would you echo Dana's thoughts there right move to let George go yeah definitely I I still think in a few years time when he's at the back end of his his Birmingham contract like he might be just kind of like stuck on the bench or or you know, even if if Karanka is not there like they might be struggling to move him on with that length of a contract and I think with the the restructure we've had in the club over the last couple of years and the new direction we're going to take, like, yeah, we'd have all liked to maybe see him stay and hit that 300 appearances because uh, echoing Dana's tweet from, from the other day, being stuck on 299 is just extremely, extremely annoying. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... It was the right thing to do to to offer him one year, but he's he's done the the best thing for for his career, I suppose, to to move to Birmingham and he, good luck to him. Yeah, uh, but it was excellent yesterday. And I just thought yesterday when you, when you messaged me, Tom, in the morning saying you had a bad feeling about the game, I just thought they're going to win one 0 and Adam Clayton of all people who <laughs> didn't score once at the Riverside is going to bundle home a winner off in the eighty seventh minute. You know I what like, I was expecting, like because you you said uh, it was written that George Friend to get man of the match. I was expecting us to be like peppering their goal at the last minute and Clayton to do that uh, that rugby prop thing that he did <laughs> oh, against Sheffield yeah. uh, under Pulis and just keep. <laughs> Was ours. <laughs> you know what? That was that was probably the best moment of Tony Pulis's entire reign. Everyone on the like the line trying to stop the ball from going in. That was amazing. Oh, God. Got out Tony Pulis. Unemployed now. Yeah. <laughs> and rightly uh, so. Yeah, quite rightly so. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, Tony Pulis. DM me. We love Tony um, on this podcast. <laughs> You know what? I'd love to sit with Tony Pulis and actually like dissect his his Borough career. Um, just to like, it'd be I just think it'd be really interesting from like a manager's perspective because a lot of people hate him and call him like a massive dinosaur, which you know, like I probably agree with. Um, <laughs> but I think it'd be it'd be nice to like sit down, and be like, right, okay, di- dinosaur. Let's let's tra- let's talk about Jurassic Park and let's talk about uh, let's sit about your eighteen to tw- two years of Borough. Plus, he actually yeah. thinks he's he's done quite a good job here and like contributed to the way the yeah. club is now. So I'd I'd love the way like how he thinks that, considering yeah. some of the signings he made for some of the money he spent. 
Yeah, well, it'd, yeah. Be, it'd be interesting. Like, it could have like, well, it depends what he's done, really, doesn't it? You, you don't know the stuff like out, like behind the scenes that he might have changed or stuff like that. So he could have, but on the pitch, ugh, God, it was terrible, terrible to watch. Um, but speaking of transfers, Tom, you know, thanks for me, thanks to thanks for connecting me there. Um, and so put me on the tangent. We'll talk about transfers. Uh, Roman Burrell, Tom, uh, he went out on loan this week for his first loan spell at Bradford City for the remainder of the season. Um, a generic question, but how important is it uh, that we get these young players out on loan for the remainder of the season? I'm thinking Sam Falarin, Isaiah Jones, Hayden uh, Hackney, if we can do that as well. But Roman Burrell as well, getting them out on loan. How important is it for us to, to get them out on loan and get them that much day experience? I am a big fan of of when young players do that to kind of work their way up. Um, personally, I remember Ben Gibson doing it where he was like a Tranmere and Plymouth and kind of York. working up the leagues and yeah, York as well, working up the leagues and and getting that experience so that they're a lot more ready for for first team football. And yeah, I think for for the players we've got in the team now, such as Falaren, Jones, uh, Burrell, it, it'll be important for them for for growth. Um, so yeah, I like I say I'm I'm quite a quite a fan of that approach, and if we can do that for other players and not leave ourselves short for the rest of the season, uh, it can only be a good thing. Yeah, we do need some bodies, but it was good that you mentioned in there, Tom Brown, like getting some more experience in the league. Um, then Neil Warnock was very critical of the under twenty three leagues last week, um, and he was just he was essentially asking to bring back the reserve leagues where you'd play against like maybe like northern league teams but then also like very low tier uh sides in like friendlies and, and stuff like that and when you're more likely to play like more like the uh tougher men um opposition um does he have a point there do you think it'll help or hinder the development because the under 23s and the standard that we've seen is actually probably getting a lot better in terms of football inside the standards a lot better um, but I think that physicality side of the game is pretty much lost. Um, but do you think it'll help or hinder the development of players if we were to scrap the under-23s and have more of the reserve-type games again? I'd like to see the reserve games return. I don't know when they they changed it, um, but you know, you said there about the Northern League teams, it's, it is more of a physical um, challenge for some of these under-23 players and they, they do need to add that to their game because when you put into the EFL, it, you know, it's a, a very physical football pyramid where you go to the championship and it is, you know, you do have to be um, not just mentally tough but physically tough as well and I, I don't know why they scrapped the reserves. I, I don't know when they did it but I, I remember a game, it was Blythe Spartans, I think, where Adlan Guadiara got himself sent off for kicking somebody. Um, you know, that's the sort of scenes you see in the reserve games. But, um, you know, the, obviously the under-23s need as much experience as they, um, as they can get. And sometimes there, there really isn't an avenue for them to go out on loan because, you know, you can have potential suitors, but it might not be the right club. So you've got to find a compromise to that. And the reserve games are that. The under-23 matches, it's... I think that's more of a hindrance for me. Um, than playing under twenty three games because you are learning because you you know you're playing football but you can expand that learning by playing northern league teams the the rough and tumble of of the northern league of the lower divisions I would like to see that return so I, I complete I'm completely with um, Neil Warnock when he says he wants to see that back yeah I think technically um, the under twenty three leagues are, are quite good. 
Um, I think you're right, though, Dana, on the physicality side of the game. I think the the EFL itself is completely and utterly different to the Premier League. Um, mm. The Premier League is very is technically brilliant, um, and you you tend to see that physicality of the game just disappear into thin air. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think it's why t- championship teams struggle when they go up. Obviously, the financial side of things is massive, um, but also like that. You can just lose that physicality straight away, which you're so used to. Um, hence why I think you, you, you do see that. You, see, you tend to see that struggle. But, Tom, would you probably agree? Do you think it's a help or a hindrance that we we kind of scrap this under-23 model and go to more of a reserve team model where it's it's more physical? Yeah, I, I think uh, an under-23 model likely to be a bit more protected. Um, but, yeah, if we were to switch to reserve, like I said, with the, the loan... Thing. You, you, you're playing against people who've been in the first team um, and, and you know, you've got them on your team. It's going to help the younger players having more experienced players with them, kind of telling them what to do and uh, clattering them if they're on the other team. Um, but also, <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to kind of get them that much experience, but without going on loan uh, so much, really. Yeah, I think if I think that in, an, in an ideal world, I think we should have a blended approach to it. Uh, the the mm. under twenty three model is great for technical ability, but also if you're playing the likes of like say a Whitby Town or a York or, or I don't know, the Eve, you could even play like a, a Forest Green if you want to in League League Two, <laughs> just to like have like that blended approach um, where you are playing like that tough side of the game as well in like midweek friendlies or oh, probably more of that we probably do that sometimes but uh, if we were to do that more officially and try to be a bit more physical in our approach it might help players in, in the future but what I would say is that England itself as a country is, is getting a lot better of developing talent you can see it in this England side the under 23s some players are coming through technically were absolutely brilliant from where we were a few years ago but I think we, we do miss that physicality and I think fans in England love that physical side of the game um, rather than that uh, continental approach of, of being very technical, the, the but... under the under twenty three leagues, you know, playing each other, it, it's, it's just like that Spider Man meme where they just sort of stood there, like you know, looking at each other. It's yeah. they're not really developing as much, and I get like obviously the technical ability, you sort of have the the, the scope there to improve in that uh, respect in that department, but yeah, they they need to have that physical side um, as well because. If if you have you can have all the technical ability in the world, but if you go to League Two and, and get you know lumps kicked out of you, then what else have you got? You know, you, I think you do need a, a, at least a little bit of a physical edge to your game in order to really sort of not not thrive a bit in the of space division. To that. <laughs> yeah, but to to manage the the division. I, I suppose just to, to back up the, the physical point of that, though, is it uh, Falaron and Jones both came from that uh, Tooten and Mitcham down near yeah. London somewhere, and they were both, what, 16, 17 playing in the men's team, I think. I, I'm not quite sure on the, on the radio, so I might be wrong there. Uh, but they're still young players and they were playing in the men's team in in a men's league, really, uh, rather than you know coming up through an academy play 23s football, so uh, that's maybe why when we've seen them that they, they do look to have, have a bit about them mm. yeah uh, I, I agree with that Tom but we'll, we'll continue with transfers um, Conor Hurahan was was mentioned this week uh, Tom from Aston Villa a great song from the Aston Villa fans by the way so if we do sign we've got a great chant there but 
Um, a key player in the Villa team who got promoted in the, from the championship and the safety last year, and he has played a few games and in a rejuvenated Aston Villa side. Um, they've been very good to watch this year. Do you think he's a player that central midfield uh, as bruh need? You know, central middles bruh. I'm trying. You know, I'm trying to fit it. In. I can't do it. Can't do it. Um, <laughs> so many midfielders. Um, but do you think we need another central midfielder? He's clearly got quality. Um, there's no doubt about it. But do you think he's a player that we we need at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I said last week. I think because we play free in in centre midfield, we are a little bit thin there. If if one of them gets injured, um, and adding more quality to it uh, can only help. Um, like I said last last week, I think when we're we're looking to add players to that, we want them with a high work rate. Who like they say um, going to be like seven or eight consistent every week. Um, well, I admit I've not seen too much of Conor Huran other than kind of when he's played against us um, loved him on Football Manager when he's played for me on there he loves a 25 yard screamer so <laughs> <laughs> but then again so did Kevin Thompson so that doesn't really mean anything <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, yeah I, I think like I say adding quality and, and work rate to that midfield if he's the, the type of player that fits in with, with what we've already got um, and fits into that system then it can only be a good thing yeah, you can't beat a bit of quality, and I think that's what he definitely brings to the side if he was to sign. But he is also linked with Swansea, so borough logic, he signs for Swansea next week. Um, <laughs> Dana, another player from Aston Villa as well, Frederick Gilbert. Uh, a right-back as well. Do you think Warnock's a bit wary of his options at right-back? Do you think he sees Jed as more of a winger rather than a cover for Dykesdale? Well, at the moment, the way that he's playing, Jed, it, it seems as though he prefers him further forward, which means that we've got Dykesdale really right back. So it wasn't initially a a position that I thought that we needed to strengthen. I remember when we did our list of transfer targets pre-season, we didn't pick a single right back because we thought we're, we're okay there. I would actually say we probably need a, a left back more because if Marvin Johnson is seen as a, a winger and you know Hayden Coulson is... I don't know where Hayden Coulson is playing, to be honest. Then we've we've only got um we've only got uh Matt Baller, but then again with Jed moving further forward, which I think is probably actually his, his better position to play at, at least as a as a right wing back. Um we could potentially do with one and I think, you know, Gilbert is, is a good player, he's available. Same with Hurahan actually, and, and when you mention Hurahan if Lewis Swing is to leave this month, you know, I think Conor Hurahan would be a fantastic addition and, and an upgrade on wings or, or an improvement to the midfield. So I would take both of those players, to be honest, from Villa. And it's weird that we're actually being linked with players rather than Villa being linked with players that we're also linked with because you remember yeah. when that was the thing. Um, that was definitely the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the Spider-Man meme. But yeah... Speaking generally, I, I I can't see us bringing many players in this this window. Um, it would be great for us too, um, just to give us that extra push, maybe in a playoff uh, fight. Yeah. But yeah, I, I I can't see it happening to be honest. Okay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Does it wait? It's a good, I just I just want it for that. Alone. Well, he d- his his name doesn't fit into pig bag or Seven Nation Army, so yeah, sign him up. <laughs> for that reason yeah <laughs> alright let's do it um, let's move on guys let's move on let's chat about Nottingham Forest uh, the midweek game this week Borough travel to the city ground 
against Chris Hewton's and Nottingham Forest. Not a very happy hunting ground for Borough. I think the last time we won there was the promotion season, I believe, under Aitor Clank. We won 2-1. Yep. Um, so if I'm wrong, I do apologise. No, you are right. I could think of. Um, so yeah, let's 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 break Nottingham Forest down. Yeah, I did a, a bit of research on them, and it was quite intriguing actually because uh, they set up in a tried and tested Chris Hewton forty-three-one standard, um, and their style of play relies heavily on on wing play. So Amiobi on one side and, and Anthony Knockout on the other. And delving into the stats, they actually averaged twenty-four crosses per game with five accurate crosses per game, and that latter stat is the the sixth highest in the division. Compare that to Borough, we averaged twenty-one crosses per game with three point four accurate crosses per game, which is actually the fourth lowest in the division um so their fortunes have turned around completely in uh, in 2021 they've only conceded once at home they've yet to concede away no defeat either at home or on the road they're on a um a six game unbeaten run and they've scored in in every game that they've played so far this year and you know it was a really big win at the city ground for them last time out against millwall 3-1 that was um, it was actually their first win in six uh, against them. So tails will be, uh, will be up, confidence will be high. Um, they do have three wins and three draws in that last six, which puts them just below us in the form table. I think we've scored more and they've I think they've conceded less, but we've scored more. So they've picked up the same amount of points as us in the last six games. And for me, I picked out the star man, Sam Bissau. Um, a lot of uh, Forest fans are saying he's made a massive difference for them of late. He holds the fort in midfield, sits in, breaks up play, allows the front line to thrive. And he's actually playing really well alongside Ryan Yates, who I remember was, was linked with us, uh, I think, a couple of seasons ago. Yeah, and he, he was much maligned um, by Forest fans. And somebody on the T- LTLF forum said that um, Sao is probably our most important player at the moment. So them two are working really well in midfield. Um, but their weakness is that they don't tend to score goals. They're actually the fourth lowest scorers in the championship. Um, they were on the same amount of, of uh, goals as Wickham before they beat Millwall. Um, and looking at the forums, a lot of their fans were slightly piss-taking their inability to score goals. So it's almost like it was under Pulis. Um, and they've actually, when I looked into it, They've only scored more than one goal uh, in a game four times this season. So that's where their issue lies and a bit of potential for Borough to exploit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's about time they started to click. They've got a lot of season championship players. Chris Hewton is a great manager who um, has obviously gotten out of this division before. So it's no surprise that they've finally started to get things going. Um, they've become quite defensively resolute. They've already conceded uh, three goals in the last six games. So yeah. I need to take a breath. There's a lot of research there, but yeah, there's um, <laughs> the they're improving, I think, and I was quite surprised because I just assumed they were they were at the bottom and they were down and out really. But um, it seems like their East Midlands neighbours Derby are, are still struggling rather than than Forest. So yeah, there's it'll be an interesting game. Wayne Rooney's Derby County. No, yeah, um, yeah. But, but it just screams three on Nottingham Forest, doesn't it? <laughs> Screams screaming on that your forest. Sammy Amiobi Hattrick. Sammy Amiobi Hattrick, yeah. Indeed. Tom, is there anything to add? Uh, I mean, yeah, I've looked at the, the form as well. Um, like Dan said, six match unbeaten run. The beat Millwall yesterday, two goals from Amiobi. I think the other one was from, from Ryan Yates. Uh, 
it uh, really messed me about yesterday because I was looking at them for me bet and I thought, nah, no, not today. And then, yeah, <laughs> typical. But yeah, on, on that run, uh, beat Preston away, beat Cardiff at home, beat Sheffield at home, and then had draws against uh, Millwall away, Stoke away, and Birmingham at home. Yeah, so the the, the you know what the the turn the corner uh, under Chris Hewton, I they think have. it could be a really difficult it could be a really difficult game for us. Chris Hewton's that seasoned vet; he knows what to do to get out of the championship. Similar to to Neil Warnock, and I can't see this game being fun to watch. I think it'd be a very very boring game. Mm. Um, five five. Yeah, I think it was. It was... <laughs> <laughs> so it's. Uh... <laughs> It, it, it was a bit of a, a bit of a difficult game at the Riverside, I thought, when uh, Chris Hewton first came in. So now he's had a lot longer to work with them, which can be even worse. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be a very defensive game. You know, we need that probably that that bit of quality um, in the final third. Someone to gamble. Um, I think Duncan Watmark would be very very. In, incremental in Borough's win, uh, just the way he he roams around uh, from the defenders and the, and the attackers. I think if I was to play him or I was to play Tav, I'd be looking to get on Sam uh, Sam Bissau and uh, Sam Bissau, however you say his name, Dan. I can't remember Sam Bissau. Uh, whatever. Uh, Sau, Wait, I think. I'll... I don't know what I said. Sam I'd, I'd be I'd be looking I'd be looking to get on him. Try and play off him about five ten yards away from him. Try and create your own space and pull one of the defenders out and try and get yourself in behind because I think that's where we will probably cause some of the damage but if we don't do that then oh well it's going to be a, a take and they'll draw all day long but let's talk about predictions guys how are we feeling about this week's game do you think we'll pull up three points and react or do you think it could be a ball draw or do you think we'll taste defeat once again at the city ground well you go first? yeah you mentioned it there that we haven't won at the city ground since we exercised that demon in 2015 and i hate us mm-hmm. playing there i really really do i, I remember I went there once, and I think Dexter Blackstock scored a winner against us Dexter there. Dexter Blackstock. Yeah, ever since that day, I've just hated the city ground with a burning passion. But we do seem to bounce back quite well after a after a defeat. So, you know, there's not going to be a lot of goals in this. I'm going to go one nil Borough. One nil Borough. You know what reminds me, Dan? It just reminds me of that Nottingham Forest team with Billy Davies as manager. Oh yeah. Um, Reed on the left, mm, Dexter Blackstock front. Oh, they had, was... they had Darius Henderson, didn't they? Because remember Darius when he, he handballed it at home? Yeah. Right yeah. into the net. See, we talk about mm-hmm. uh, referees earlier. There we go. There's an example of the peak <laughs> yeah. championship referee. I'm trying to think of one more player that played for Nottingham Forest in that team. Um, I'm Matt, thinking... Mills. Matt Mills was L- one. Lewis McGugan. I think it was another centre-forward. It was Dexter Blacksock and someone else. It's going to really annoy me now. We're going to have to um, Google it, aren't we? <laughs> Dana, Google it. I'm going to Google it right Google now. It. Google it. Tom, um, score predictions for Wednesday night. I'm also going to go 1-0. Um, a few reasons behind that. Uh, the the Forest undefeated run. You know, We've not won there since uh, what the promotion season. And yeah. also... Um, I'm backing Asamba Longa to get his first goal at the city ground against them in the in the time he's been with us. Yeah, I remember being there for I think it was the away game under Gary Monk, 
and he was trying so hard to get a goal that day. I think the the, the fans probably got in his head. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 remember I, remember, I remember that was one of the, the few games I've actually seen Justed have a good game because he was getting some decent <laughs> nod downs and flick ons to a Sambalonga who was then going like hold I'm down the B wise. button, hold, hold down the B button style pa- uh, <laughs> shooting and like pretty much taking us out in the stand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember uh, there was there was I think it was like a corner or a free kick or something. Someone headed it in. It was going in, and then Asambalonga touched it in on the line, and he was offside. Um, but with all that being said, I'm I'm having him scoring his first goal against against Forest on Wednesday uh, at the City Ground since he's been with us for a one 0 win. Football gods in it, so that's to that's yeah. to happen. Has to happen. Come on, Brit. This is this is the moment. This at least this could be your parting gift. You know what I mean? If you yeah. if you are leaving, this could be the parting gift. There's no like, fans bit, there. It's perfect. Yeah, it'd be a nice bit of closure for him as well, wouldn't it? If he was to leave, and that was his last goal at Nottingham Forest. Um, but let's. Oh, I'm gonna go with a nil. I'm gonna even gonna go one-one draw. One-one draw, nil-nil. I, I just can't see it being a great game to watch. Um, but. That's about it, guys. Dana, did you find out uh, who his partner, the strike partner was? Or... Was it Matt Derbyshire that you were thinking of? Matt Derbyshire, oh, yeah. Is that yeah. it? Yeah. Matt Derbyshire, yeah. Even when he was at Blackburn, I hated him. Yeah. <laughs> Always scored against us. I tell you what, they've got some throwback championship names. You know, like when the second tier do that random footballer of the week? Like, they have a lot yeah. of those players, I think, Forrest. Yeah, uh, no, I'd agree. I'll let Ryan know that you enjoy that. Uh, <laughs> you can you can message him yourself then. <laughs> uh, if he wasn't with that little shout out, um, but that's but that's pretty much it, guys. Thank you very much for joining me as always, and thank you very much for you, the listener, to listen to us. Um, so Borough test defeat for the second time at the Riverside this season, but still remain in the pack for the playoffs. Only three wins away from safety too. Um, so silver linings and all that. But well, this has been the Borough Breakdown podcast, and that was all of your match day chatter in a pod up the board breakdown mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.